69 in past Christian Mississippi, a group of people were preparing to have a hurricane party in the face of a storm named Camille. The wind was howling outside of the, the posh Richelieu apartments when police Jerry Peralta pulled up sometime after dark. Facing the beach left in 250 feet from the surf, the apartments were directly in the line of danger. A man with a drink in his hand came out to the second floor balcony and waved. Peralta yelled up, you all need to clear out of here as quickly as you can. The storm's getting worse. But as others joined the man on the balcony, they just laughed at Peralta's order to leave. This is my land, one of them yelled back. If you want me off, you'll have to arrest me. Peralta didn't arrest anyone, but he wasn't able to, uh, to persuade them to leave either. He wrote down the names of the next of kin of the 20 or so people who were gathered there to party through the storm. They laughed as he took their names. They had been warned, but they had no intention of leaving. It was 10.15 when the front wall of the storm came ashore. Scientists clocked Camille's wind at a speed more than 205 miles per hour, the strongest on record at that time. Raindrops hit with the force of bullets and waves off the Gulf Coast crested between 22 and 28 feet high. News reports later show that the worst damage came at the little sediment, settlement motels and go bars and gambling houses known as Past Christian, Mississippi, where some 20 people were killed at a hurricane party at the Richelieu Apartments. Nothing was left of the three-story structure but the foundation, and the only survivor was a five-year-old boy found clinging to a mattress the following day. It's one thing to listen to a warning, but it's something entirely different to take action because of the warning. There are warnings in Scripture, and every person must make a decision to believe the warnings and then take the appropriate action. Today we're starting a series of messages called Jesus Said with a warning that Jesus gave. Open your Bible to Luke chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 is what we're going to look at. Open, uh, it's on page 794 in your pew Bibles. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 12 and verse 1 it says, In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. The title of the message this morning is Beware. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, help us today as we have this time to study your word. Let our hearts and our minds be centered upon you. Let your Holy Spirit come and help us to, to be focused in this time and let us take this warning seriously. Father, let your Holy Spirit take your word and search our lives and see if there's any hypocrisy in our lives. To see if we're putting on a show for others to see, Lord, and not truly living for you. And God, where there is hypocrisy, make it known. Bring great conviction into our lives and help us not to be content to appear to be anything. But help us, God, to determine to be who you want us to be and what you want us to be. Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit today and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech that I could speak your words in your ways for your glory. Father, give us ears to hear and hearts to obey what you would have for us today. 
We ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Anytime Jesus starts a sentence with beware, we ought to pay attention. We ought to pay careful attention. One thing that stood out is that we should notice who Jesus was talking to. There is a, an innumerable multitude of people gathering together, but, but they're not the primary ones that he's talking to in verses 1 and 2. He began to say to his disciples, first of all, that the message that we're looking at today is primarily for those who have devoted their lives to following Jesus. To those that would say, Jesus is Lord over my life, and I believe in Him, and I have received Him, and I am going to live for Him. To those people, Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, leaven is, it consisted of a lump of old dough in a high state of fermentation, which was mixed into a mass of dough. And there are two characteristics of leaven that make it important in the context of hypocrisy. The first is that it works from within. And what that means for us is that hypocrisy is a matter of the heart. A person who acts hypocritical does so because that person is a hypocrite in their heart. The outward actions of hypocrisy merely reflect what's going on in the heart of the person. The second characteristic of leaven is that it's very infective. In fact, Scripture warns that a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. And what that means for us in the context of hypocrisy is that when we allow hypocrisy in one area of our life, eventually it will spread to all the rest. The moment that we begin to allow or justify hypocrisy in one area of our lives is the moment that we set ourselves up to become hypocrites in every area of our lives. So we can see why Jesus warned us against about leaven. But what about hypocrisy? Now, originally, a hypocrite was simply an actor. It was someone who was playing a part. And in the Gospels, a hypocrite, it always has a negative meaning because they are actors playing the part. But they're not playing the part on a stage. They're playing a part in life. They're playing a part of being devoted to God when in reality they were not. Jesus consistently dealt more harshly with hypocrites than he did with anyone else that he dealt with. Jesus said that hypocrites would receive the greater damnation. Jesus said that hypocrites are the children of hell. Jesus said that hypocrites are fools and blind. Jesus said that hypocrites are blind guides. Jesus said that hypocrites are full of extortion and excess. Jesus said that hypocrites are full of uncleanness. Jesus said that hypocrites are serpents and a generation of vipers. And Jesus said that hypocrites shall not escape the damnation of hell. Now, that's all really bad. That's all really serious when it comes to the idea of a hypocrite. And I've heard it said that in one way or another, we are all hypocrites. And the reason given for this is that we all fail to live up to the standard and the values that we profess to hold. Now, be honest, I, I disagree with that statement. And here's why. A hypocrite wasn't someone that tried and failed. 
A hypocrite did not try at all. Hypocrites are not, they are not concerned with actually being devoted to Jesus. Hypocrites are only concerned with appearing to be devoted to Jesus. Hypocrites aren't concerned with actually being righteous. Hypocrites are only concerned with appearing to others that they are righteous. Hypocrites really don't care about being anything that the Bible says we ought to be. All hypocrites care about is appearing that way to others. So if you're here today and you're only concerned about how you appear and not really so much as what you are, then you may well be a hypocrite. On the other hand, if you are concerned about living for Jesus and being devoted to Jesus, but sometimes you just don't meet the bar that you want, you're probably not a hypocrite. One of the reasons that Jesus tells us to beware of the leaven of Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, is that nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be made known. See, hypocrisy will always eventually be found out. No one can live the life of a hypocrite forever without people eventually beginning to recognize it. And Scripture is filled with warnings about the fact that we can't live a double life forever. Moses told the people to be sure that your sin would find you out. Proverbs says that our duplicity will eventually destroy us. Paul warned us that while some people's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, there are others and their sins follow on later. And the idea of all of this in regards to hypocrisy is that hypocrisy will always be found out. It will always come out eventually, no matter how hard we try to hide it. How much we try to appear devoted to Jesus, if we are hypocrites in our heart, it will eventually be seen and recognized in our lives. So that's why I must be devoted to Jesus and not merely appear devoted to Jesus. If I do not want to be a hypocrite, then I have to genuinely be devoted to Jesus. And not focus just on appearing to be devoted to Jesus. How can we beware of hypocrisy so that we're genuinely devoted to Jesus and not merely appearing devoted to Jesus? I think there are three, three actions that we have to take. First, be aware of my sinful nature. Be aware of my sinful nature. One of the worst mistakes that we can make is to think that we are beyond hypocrisy. Now, even though we're not all hypocrites, our sinful nature ensures that we are all capable of hypocrisy. There is none of us that could not be a hypocrite under the right set of circumstances with the right things going on. The Bible says that, the, that our flesh, our sinful nature, it, it lusts, it works against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you don't do the things that you wish. The Holy Spirit does not want us to appear devoted to Jesus. 
The Holy Spirit within us wants us to be devoted to Jesus. The Holy Spirit within us doesn't want us to appear righteous. The Holy Spirit within us wants us to be righteous. The Holy Spirit within us doesn't really want us to appear to be anything. The Holy Spirit within us wants us to actually be something, to be who Jesus has saved us to be. Our sinful nature, on the other hand, our sinful nature would be content for us to appear devoted to Jesus. Our sinful nature would be content for us to appear righteous. Our sinful nature is content for us to appear as anything in the world so long as we're not actually anything that God would have us to be. And what makes the pull of the the flesh, our sinful nature, so strong is that it's easier to be a hypocrite. It is easier to appear to be something than it is to actually be something. We see this if you ever if you ever watch the stolen valor videos on like YouTube. It's easy enough for someone to go to a store and buy a uniform and, and then to put their name on it and to pretend like they're a soldier that fought in war. But inevitably, someone comes up to them and says, what does that ribbon mean? What's that award for? Why do you wear your hat like that? And without fail, they get tripped up. They, they can't answer the questions. They can appear to be a soldier, but they're not, so they can't actually be soldiers. It's easy to say we're devoted to Jesus. Anyone can say that. It's easy to say that we, we live a righteous life. Anyone can say that. But it's far more difficult to actually be those things. And so our sinful nature is always saying... Don't put in the work. Just appear. And because it is so much easier, there is a temptation within us to say, yeah. So long as as everyone just assumes that I am, as everyone just thinks that I am, as I, and I don't have a cussing fit at Walmart and everybody doesn't know how I am in my heart, then that's all that really matters is I appear to be righteous. There is within all of us A part of our lives that we don't like, that we don't want to talk about, that we don't want to acknowledge, but it's there. Our sinful nature is always here. It is always at work and it is always calling on us and leading us to do the opposite of what the Spirit of God wants us to do. And the Spirit says, be devoted to Jesus. And so the flesh says, Appear devoted to Jesus. Be whatever you want to be. And that temptation is always within us. And it's a temptation that we we have to fight and that we have to master. We have to recognize that that this temptation is there. that, That no matter how we feel, that it is entirely possible that we could become hypocrites at any moment. Because our sinful nature is always at work. And that makes us vulnerable to temptations. And one of the temptations we're vulnerable to is the temptation to hypocrisy. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10. That would be page 875 if you have a pew Bible. First Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 4. The Apostle Paul tells us something about what God had done for the Israelites in the Exodus. He said, moreover, brethren, 
I don't want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. And, and he's just talking about the fact that when they left Egypt and they wandered for the 40 years that God took good care of them. God made sure all of their needs were met. God fought for them. God provided for them. God did great and miraculous things for them. Now, despite the fact that God had done all of these things for the people, look at what it says about the people themselves in verse 5. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So, even though they saw God do all of these great things, it didn't really impact them in the way that it should have. And in verse 7, 8, and 9, it tells us what happened. That some became idolaters. Verse 8, some committed sexual immorality. Verse 9, some tempted Christ. Verse 10, some complained. Now, idolatry, we know if you've read the book of Numbers, they, they went after the various gods of the people of the land at times. For us, the temptation really wouldn't be to bow down before a, an image that's created. I would say that the greatest idol in our culture is us. Right? Because idolatry, the essence of idolatry is just to, to put something in God's place. God demands that first place in our life, that, he, that our lives would revolve around His will and His ways and His word. And the moment we put anything else there and we become more devoted to anything than we are to God, we become idolaters. And this is true even if we put ourselves in that place. But it talked about sexual immorality and that some died because of it. Now, verse 9, it says they tempted Christ. Now, this is interesting because one of the commentaries I read when I was looking at this, it, it said the idea of, of tempting Christ was that they, they pushed to see how far they could go. Right? And what I thought about with this, and I can tell this story because I don't have any family here with me, but, but my daughters... My daughters are the best because sometimes they wake up cranky and I don't. And when I don't wake up cranky and they do, I poke the bear. I poke and I poke and I poke. And, and literally, sometimes I literally just poke them, right? Until they, they almost are just about to go, Aah! I mean, they just, they're infuriated by it. Kelly's telling me not to do it, but she's secretly glad that I'm doing it to them because if she wakes up cranky, I do it to her as well. But that's, to me, the picture is Jesus has said, you know, don't do this. And so they're like, well, can I go here? Well, can I go here? Well, can I do this? Can I do that? Can I go here? And they're just pushing to see how far they can go, how close they can get before they were destroyed by the serpents. Uh, they weren't saying, I'm going to live for Jesus and I'm going to live for the Lord and do whatever he says. It's, well, how close to the world can I get? And then verse 10, I'm not going to go into verse 10. I just want you to, some of you, and you know who you are, you should highlight that it says that God killed them for complaining. And then you should come back and study that later. Now, why did Moses tell us why God was not pleased with them and, and what they did? Verse 6, it says that these things became our examples to the intent that we wouldn't 
lust after the evil things they lusted after we wouldn't do the things that they did. Verse 11. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So so Paul is given all of these things here and he's telling us you're not supposed to follow their example. Don't make the same mistakes that they have made. And while hypocrisy is not specifically mentioned in this passage, hypocrisy is still really relevant to us in light of what we see here. But it's relevant because the church of, of Jesus Christ has suffered tremendous shame from people who have appeared to be followers of Christ or they were actually idolaters who worshipped themselves or their power or money or any number of other things. Can you, can you in your mind picture televangelists who were pretending, who appeared to be devoted to Jesus, but when it really came out, they were actually idolaters. The church of Jesus Christ has suffered shame because of people who appeared to be devoted to Jesus, and yet they were actually sexually immoral. The church of Jesus Christ has suffered shame because there were people who appeared to be devoted to Jesus, and and yet... They just wanted to see how close to the world and how much like the world they could they could get. The church of Jesus Christ has suffered shame because there were people who who appeared to be devoted to Jesus. And yet they they just they griped and they complained about everything and all things. And, and by appearing one thing, wanting to appear, they they were hypocrites. And we say, well, I would never do that. I mean, I would never get to that extreme. And Paul understood that we would say that. And so he says in verse 12, now, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And what he's saying is, beware. The moment you think you're too strong to make that mistake is pretty much the moment you're going to set yourself up for failure. None of us, no matter how devoted we actually are to Jesus in our hearts and in our lives, none of us are beyond becoming hypocrites. None of us are beyond letting our relationship slip, but wanting to appear that we're still close to Jesus. None of us are beyond stopping reading our Bibles, but wanting people to think that we are. None of us are beyond having a secret life in our homes that no one sees, but wanting to be sure that in public we appear differently because of our relationship with Jesus. None of us are beyond allowing this to come in. And the moment that we think we are, the moment that we think, I would never, I would never do that. At that moment, we are so very vulnerable. When I first became a pastor, I was convinced no one who who stepped into this pulpit and, and did what we do would ever truly fall away from Jesus, would ever live the secret life and and be a hypocrite. And in almost 15 years, I've had not only 
televangelists that I've seen fall away, but, but friends, people I knew personally, that I know knew Jesus, and I know they loved Jesus, and I know that they were at one point devoted to Jesus, and I have seen them stray, and I have seen them put up an appearance, and I have seen them focus on appearing rather than being. And what I have learned is, there but by the grace of God go I. Any one of us can make these mistakes. As long as we live in this world, we have a sinful nature. And that sinful nature guarantees that we are not immune to temptation. And one of the temptations that we are susceptible to is the temptation of hypocrisy. A huge ploy of Satan is to make us believe we are too far we are too good. We are too close to Jesus to ever give in to something like hypocrisy. And the moment we think that, we, are, we think that we stand, we had better be careful because we are on the verge of falling. Because remember, it only takes a little hypocrisy to leaven the whole lump. We only have to let it in in one or two areas of our life and it'll spread to every area of our life before long. One of the keys to ensuring that we're truly devoted to Jesus and not merely appearing devoted to Jesus is to be aware of our sinful nature. We, be, we, we must be honest that when the song says prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. It is speaking to us. And yes, we feel it. We don't give in to our sinful nature. We, we aren't discouraged by the fact that we have a sinful nature. We aren't defeated because it's there. We simply acknowledge it. We know that it's there. We know the pull. And we resist it. And we fight it. And we refuse to underestimate its power to lead us to try to appear Righteous rather than to be righteous, to try to appear devoted rather than to be devoted. And we refuse to give in to its pull. We we choose being over appearing every time. So first, we have to be aware of our sinful nature. But secondly, we have to care about our our attitudes as well as our actions. If you ever noticed that actions are easier to knuckle under than attitudes are. Now, if you're a parent, I know you have, right? Because you've had your kids clean the room while stomping and groaning and grunting to themselves, right? Or is that just us? Right? We've, we've had that to happen. And actions are, are easy enough. It's easy enough not to have a meltdown at Walmart where there's people who might see us. It's easy enough to not have a screaming, cussing fit. It's easy enough to, to control the action. But what about the underlying attitudes? What about the stuff that people don't see that's only in our minds? I mean, it is entirely possible to do the right things, but with the wrong attitude. And according to the Bible, we would still be wrong. One thing you find as you look through Scripture is that it deals as much with our attitude as it does with our actions. And the reason is that our, in a lot of ways, I would say that actions deal with who we are 
Our attitudes deal with who we are and actions deal with what we appear to be. It's easy to appear something because of our actions, but it's different to be that in our hearts and on our attitudes. I want you to look at Colossians chapter 3. The Bible gives us some attitudes that you and I, that we as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we are supposed to have. It's page 903 if you have a pew Bible. Colossians 3 and 12. Paul says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Now, a lot of that, notice that that's that's who you are, not who you're appearing, but who you are. If you are truly born again, you've been chosen by God. He has changed you. He has worked in your life. You you put on and he gives a list of of attitudes to put on. Now, the put on is significant because. What it means is, I think, two things. Primarily, it means that there's work to do. Right? We have to put on these attitudes. I think some translations say clothe yourselves. And it's the picture of intentionally developing these attitudes in your life. The second reason it's important that we have to put on these attitudes is because we can't say, well, that's just not who I am. Right? Or, or take the opposite and say, well, that's just who I am. I mean, do you know, have you ever known somebody who, when you talked about an attitude they were supposed to have, they just said, well, that's just not me. I mean, it's just not who I am. Or if they had the opposite attitude, say, well, that's not how you should do. It's who I am, brother. I can't help it. As we look at this, what we see is that God isn't concerned with who we are naturally. None of us are called to be who we are naturally. We, we are called to put these things on, regardless of whether this is our natural temperament or not. We are called to put these on no matter how we feel about it. Who we are naturally does not matter. It is who we are in Christ. That is what matters. And in Christ, we're to put these things on. Tender mercies is one we're to put on. Tender mercies is really the idea of being compassionate caring, of being tender-hearted toward people, particularly those who are hurting and to those who are in need. See, as believers in Jesus Christ, we're to put on tender-hearted mercy towards those who are hurting so that we can do something to help. We're to put on tender-hearted mercy towards those who are in need so that we can do something to improve their situation. Kindness. Now, kindness goes along with tender-hearted mercy. But kindness, biblically, kindness is action. It, it takes the initiative. But a kind person sees a need and then takes the initiative to do what it can to meet that need. Right? A kind person. I'll give you an example. Let's say all the kids at school are being mean to Scott. and They're calling him names. I'm not a kind person just because I don't. That doesn't make me kind. Kindness is initiating a relationship with him to be his friend when that's going on. Kindness is stepping up and saying, leave him alone and, and don't do this. That's kindness. It takes the initiative. It's not reactionary. It's initiative. So a kind person sees that something needs to be done and then takes the initiative to do whatever it is that needs to be done. 
humility. But humility is simply not thinking more of yourself than you should. A humble person, a humble person can put others ahead of themselves. A humble person doesn't think I'm better than you, so my will is what always needs to be done. We have to do it my way. A humble person is able to allow others to to have their way when the need is there. Meekness. Now, meekness is interesting in that meekness, meekness is a lot of what causes things like to turn the other cheek. Now, that's a hard thing, I think, at least it is for me. But one thing that's important to understand is that meekness isn't weakness. If I'm if I'm afraid of someone and so I turn the other cheek, that's not meekness. That's fear. That's weakness. If, on the other hand, I'm not afraid and I have the right and I have the ability and I could get even or I could do something, but I choose to let it go. That's meekness. It's power under control. It says this is what God would have done. This is what needs to be done. So I'm going to do it even though I have the right and the ability to do something different. Long-suffering. Long-suffering is the opposite of having a short temper. A short-tempered person flies off the handle and has no self-control. But as a long-suffering person, they have self-control. They don't fly off the handle. And this is particularly in relation to other people. And then bearing with one another, that's an interesting one, because it, it carries with it the idea of making allowances for others. Now, let me, let's, let's do an exercise. In your mind, I want you to picture someone that gets on your nerves all the time. Okay. You all thought of someone. Now, here's two things with that. Hard truth is, just as you thought of someone, someone thought of you. Now, how do you deal with that? I mean, in a group of people, any group of people, when flawed people get together, somebody's going to get on somebody's nerves. I mean, it's just the way it is. So what do you do when that happens? Well, if you're a hypocrite or you're carnal or you're worldly, you, you act ugly. You, you run them down. You get even. You, you may take your toys and you go home. If, on the other hand, you're genuinely devoted to Jesus, you make allowances for them knowing that someone has to make an allowance for you. You understand. This goes back to humility. You understand. You're not the center of everybody's universe. You get on somebody else's nerves and if they're not talking about you, and if they're not running you down and if they're not taking their toys and leaving, it's because they're making an allowance for you. And so you have to do that for other people. Forgiving one another. Forgiving, it goes along with bearing with one another. In groups of people that are imperfect get together, somebody is going to get offended. This is true in anything. Just think about it in your marriage. Do you ever... Just not offend anybody in your house? I do right now because I'm the only one there and nobody is offended at all. But Wednesday, that's all probably going to change. Right? When groups of people get together that are imperfect, people hurt each other's feelings. They say inconsiderate things. They, they speak without thinking. They, they act in ways. They, they react if they're hurt. 
And so what do you do if someone hurts your feelings? Well, if you're a hypocrite, if you're carnal and worldly, you get even. You talk bad about them and you take your stuff and you go home. But if you're genuinely devoted to Jesus, you you forgive them in humility because you know you've offended somebody at some point and they've had to forgive you. At some point, somebody has had to overlook a wrong that you committed against them and they had to forgive you. And so you forgive them. And then finally, in, in verse 14. And above all of these things, put on love. You know, love is complicated in Scripture because the way we're called on to love in Scripture, it's not just called on to love those who love us. I mean, we're called to love our, our enemies. We're called to, to love people as Jesus has loved us. We're called to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. I mean, you think about it, those are really big things in all honesty. And, and, and that's why I think part of it is we have to put it on because it's work. I, can you just flick a switch and suddenly forgive someone who's wronged you? Can you look at someone who just their, their, their voice is like fingernails on a chalkboard and you flick a switch and suddenly you make an allowance and it doesn't bother you? Can you just suddenly love people that you really don't even like? Now, I can't. Maybe you're better than I am. I can't. For me, it's a process of praying and asking God to help me and then choosing to try to put these things on to the best of my abilities. And as we look at this, I think it's easy to see that that actions are far easier to control than attitudes are. But I can I can easier not throat punch somebody that gets on my nerves than I can make an allowance for them in my mind. But I can easier not talk about someone to bridge than I can go home and forgive them and not talk about them to my wife. I can easier act the part than I can actually be the part. And so when we begin to focus on just our actions, listen, if all we're focused on is getting our actions under control, we are focused on appearance. We are concerned with what we appear to be to the world at large. And that is hypocrisy. Now, this doesn't mean our actions don't matter. Right? Don't go out tomorrow when somebody gets on your nerves, throat punch them and be like, hey, I'm just who I said I was. Right. I'm just being me. Don't do that. That's not right. Our actions matter. We have to work on them, too. But we have to work on our attitudes as well. And if all we care about is the, are the actions we have in public where people can see, and that's exactly what the hypocrites did. That's exactly what the Pharisees did. We have to care about our attitudes. We have to work on our attitudes. And we have to work on putting on the right attitudes that Scripture says we must have. And if we are putting on our attitudes, working on these things, it's because we are truly, genuinely devoted to Jesus and we're not just appearing devoted to Jesus. Pardon me, Jesus. But if all we're doing is focused on our attitudes, our actions, we're just playing a part. We've got to deal with that. And then finally, we're going to be aware of our sinful nature, care about our attitudes as well as our actions. 
And then seek genuine transformation. Seek genuine transformation. The trap of appearances is the easiest trap to fall into. Because it is far easier to to appear something than it is to be something. It's easier to appear righteous than it is to be righteous. It's easier to appear devoted to Jesus than it is to be devoted to Jesus. It's easier, it's easier to appear anything than it is to actually be anything. But Jesus didn't save us to appear to be anything. He saved us to actually be something. And in order to be what we're supposed to be, Jesus works to transform us. And Scripture is filled with verses that talk about transformation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that's, that is transformation. Jesus makes us into something new when we believe. Be renewed. That's transformation in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man. That's transformation which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Right? Don't, don't appear, but be. So all of us have had that veil removed. Can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is spirit makes us more and more like him. As we are changed into his glorious image. That, that is transformation. But it is Hugely important for us to understand that Jesus does not work to make us appear to be anything. He he did not save us and he did not give us his spirit and he is not working to make us appear as anything. He has saved us and he has given us his spirit and he is at work in us to make us be something. Never settle For appearing righteous. Be righteous. Never settle. For appearing devoted to Jesus. Be devoted to Jesus. Never settle for appearing to be anything that the Bible says we're supposed to be. Instead, be that. But you've got to seek genuine transformation. You and I, we can't do it on our own. We are not capable of being what we're supposed to be in our own strength, in our own power. If we were, we would not need Jesus. And so we have to seek Him. And if we don't seek Him for genuine transformation, then we are nothing more than hypocrites. Look at Matthew 23. Page 754. Matthew 23 is a classic passage on hypocrites. If you have time this week, take time and and study the passage out in depth. It is challenging. Matthew 23 and 25. Now, the most repeated phrase throughout Matthew 23 is woe to you. That's kind of like beware. That's significant. That's a warning. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside 
of the cup and the dish, and the outside may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. One of the key traits of the Pharisees, that the hypocrites, is that they put an awful lot of effort into appearing. They, they dressed a certain way. They had their hair a certain way. They had certain things on their clothing. They tithed certain amounts at certain times. They, they made sure people saw them. They, 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 they went to great, great lengths to ensure that they were ceremonially clean. And they went to great lengths so that people saw what they were doing. But, you know, familiar passage, and here's Jesus talking about straining a gnat to swallow a camel. But one of the things that they did was they would put they would put cloth over the top of their cup so that a gnat couldn't get in it and they wouldn't accidentally drink it because gnats were the smallest of the unclean creatures and that would defile them. And so they made to great lengths to make sure that even so much as a gnat couldn't get in them to defile them. As they walked through the marketplaces where sinners were, they, they had their robes and they cupped them close about them so that sinners wouldn't touch their clothing. Right After going out among the people, they would wash their hands in big, elaborate ceremonies to ensure that if by chance they had touched something, that an unclean person had touched, and then they ate it, they wouldn't be unclean. I mean, they, they went to almost absurd lengths to appear righteous. But they didn't focus on what was going on on the inside at all. And so they were like the whitewashed tombs. They were glorious to behold, beautiful in appearance. But all they were was just something that held someone dead. They were unclean. They were wrong. They were sinful. I, I believe that by and large, this is the natural flow of life. Naturally, we flow towards appearing rather than being. And I think it's for a variety of reasons. Any of you as parents, did you ever tell your kids, don't embarrass me in public? Right? If they came home and acted ugly, that was one thing. But if they did it in public where people saw and embarrassed them, that was hugely different, right? And in a lot of ways, by doing that, we're training people to appear. Act like you're a good kid in public. You can be a hellion at home, but in public, pretend to be controlled. We pretend... And that is, I think, the natural flow of the world and our sinful nature leads us to worry about appearances. The Spirit of God within us is calling on us not to appear, but to be. And if we don't seek Jesus for transformation, if we aren't crying out to Him to change us and to make us different, we will go down the path of hypocrisy. And we will be like whitewashed tombs. We will look good on the outside. We will say all the right things in public. We'll wear all the right clothes when people see. But when we're at home and when we're away and when we're around people that don't know us, we are vastly different because in our hearts we aren't righteous. In our hearts we aren't devoted to Jesus. In our hearts we're simply hypocrites putting on a show 
so that the world will see how good we are and the world will approve of us. And in doing that, we miss all that God has for us, all that Jesus has saved us to be, all that His Spirit wants to transform us to become. Refuse to settle for appearances. Choose to be what God wants you to be. And that requires Jesus to transform us. Seek this. Cry out for this. Beg Him to change your heart, to change your life, to change your thinking, to change your attitudes, to change you genuinely, deeply, sincerely. When, when leaven is introduced to dough, it can't be undone. Once the dough has been leavened, it can't be unleavened. The only thing that can be done is to find out how far it is spread, cut off the infected part, and throw it away. Once the leaven of hypocrisy has been spotted in our lives, it's there. And it has to be dealt with. And it has to be cut out of our lives. It has to be taken care of. It it has to be dealt with. It will not go away on its own. It will not fix itself. It will not get better with time. It will spread and get worse and worse and worse. You pick any anyone that has blown up, that was in the church, that was a Christian, whether it's a televangelist or a pastor or a Christian that you know that blew up through hypocrisy, through sin. And it wasn't great big steps that led them away. Little compromise, little allowances, little hypocrisy here, little hypocrisy there. And it spread everywhere. We can't manage it on our own. We can't allow it and think it's just going to stay there. It's going to spread and it must be cut out and it must be dealt with. But we have a better hope than dough because Jesus he can purge the hypocrisy out of our lives he can make us into something entirely new he can transform us he can redeem us he can change us but it requires us to seek him for that let's stand